This is the last uh, day that we'll be dealing with Ephesians chapter 2, moving into 3 next week. We've seen a lot in chapter 2. We started out with, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And good grief, the chapter doesn't end that way, that's for sure. Because we have just a complete onslaught of grace toward us. It's amazing to think that the cross encapsulated so much more than just the forgiveness of our sins. Now, I don't say that to cheapen that. Because we very much need our sins forgiven. So please, let's not cheapen that for a moment. But to understand that there is layer upon layer, precept upon precept, truth upon truth, that continues to flow out of this idea of Jesus agreeing, going to the cross, agonizing deeply in the Garden of Gethsemane over the situation, and recognizing that the sins of every person were going to rest upon Him in that moment as He was put on this altar and died as the Lamb of God. So what we're seeing is, starting here, you have verse 8. Because we've got to get a running start. We've got to have this context to bridge into all of it. I didn't think any of you would be comfortable with me preaching a five-hour sermon. Okay, I was hoping for some takers, but never mind. I was, I was right. Uh, but in doing so, we've had to break this down. And sometimes when you, lose, when you do that, you lose some of the connecting points. So let's pay, pay attention just quickly. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. All of that is the gift of God. He's done it by His grace. Word for grace is the same idea as gift. But salvation comes through faith. It's not any of our doing. God supplies it fully and freely. Titus, that was a part that you communicated really clearly. I appreciated that. Moving on. That was a joke. Everybody loosen up, please. Good grief. I'm glad. Can I mess with you? Okay. That'll be the last time. I'm sorry. Okay. So, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So, nothing we bring to the table. It's a gift of God, because if it was of us, we would boast. Why is that? Because we are His masterpiece, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Notice how indispensable the Lord is from this. And the reason is, for good works to do. He's got something in place for the church. Now, what you don't want to do is allow your mind to venture down the off-ramp of individuality here. So often we, we have a temptation of reading through Ephesians and simply grabbing on to these promises and benefits as they're solely meant for just me. This is my thing. This is for me. Yes, those things are true of you, but they're true of you in cooperation with other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Paul's heart is. Paul's heart is capital C, church. It's not even lower C church, and it's not even individual you as one brick in the wall of the church. It is the entire church here that was made for good works. One of the greatest prayers we could ever offer forward is, is Lord, what do you have for Grace Bible Church to do? What are the good works that you've prepared beforehand that we need to be walking in them? And knowing, as they've explained, as he supplies, it happens, it happens, it happens, and he will do it. Don't tell me that we're just saved to sit. Anybody here saved to sit? No. Not one person. And we weren't saved to sit together. We were saved to stand together, to move forward together, 
to stand for his name together, to be about his business together. But it all happens together. The body of Christ should not be severed in any way. So it says here, God prepared these beforehand that we should walk in them. And then he gives this weird shift starting with the therefore. And I believe what he's wanting to do here is he's wanting to say, this grace is so incredible. And what it's done in bringing us from death into life and God making us alive by His Spirit that I'm going to give you an example of this. So notice, remember that you formerly, the Gentiles in the flesh, that's everybody who's not a Jew, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. Uncircumcision would be considered the, uh, stop it, Gentiles, okay? But the circumcision would be the Jews, and remember, performed in the flesh by human hands, in the flesh. These markings mean nothing to God. If the heart's not there, the outward semblance doesn't matter. And so all that is just worthless religion kind of idea. Paul's kind of poking fun of that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think it's a beautiful thing. So, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, okay? Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. An incredibly destitute situation. We know this because we have, from Genesis 12 and on to the end of the Old Testament, God constantly working with the Jews. In relation to the nations, yes. In fact, let's do this real quick. If you would, put your finger here, a piece of paper there, something, Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 4 with me for just one second, please. I want you to have a marker, a reference of some sort to recognize what in the world was God's plan in the Old Testament with Israel. Is it that he didn't love everybody else and was kind of like, well, you guys fend for yourself. Good luck on finding me. I think I'm going to go with these people and give them the upper hand. That was by no means what God was trying to do ever. So notice it says here in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, look at verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as Yahweh my Elohim commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you're entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding, pay attention, in the sight of who? The peoples. Who's that? Everybody that's not a Jew. Everybody else is watching. You know how that is. You ever heard that old adage of like, well, everybody knows what's in your cart at Walmart. That's how it is in a small town. Anybody ever heard that before? Well, the whole world is watching what's in Israel's cart. What do they have going on? When you hold fast to the commandments of the Lord, your lifestyle being conformed to His will preaches something as a Jew. Well, that's in order to get the attention of the Gentiles. And so it says here in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, now notice, this is Moses telling them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's telling us the truth about the situation. When you guys hold fast to God's commandments, here's how the nations will respond. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it? That should tell you something about our Creator that He is personal, that He desires to be intimately involved, and there is no situation that needs to be withheld from Him in prayer whatsoever. Lay it out there for Him because He desires to be intimate in that way. So notice, 
For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is Yahweh our Elohim whenever we call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I'm setting before you today? In other words, even lost, pagan, idol-worshipping, temple-dwelling people who were bowing down to other gods and sacrificing all kinds of weird things and doing strange things that we can't even talk about, and all in the name of some deistic worship, could stop and recognize righteousness when it was being displayed amongst the nation for themselves. Let's be honest. We can gravitate towards that and relate to it for one reason. We know that America's lost it. We're not Jews. We weren't called to be under the law. Let's understand that very clearly. But we understand very plainly, just as people who are created in the image and likeness of God, what is considered moral and what is considered immoral. And the problem is, is the line keeps scooting back and we're recognizing the degradation of a society taking place right before our eyes. The passive wrath of God is here. So with that being said, move back to Ephesians. When we go back there, we're picking up in the difference maker. As destitute as the Gentiles were, as far away from any kind of hope, any kind of guidance from God, or any ratified promises that were placed before them where God put His own name on the, online, on, on the line. But now, in Christ, the location. You who were formerly far off Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember this. The blood is the effectual agent that does the work. What does, the, what does it do? For He Himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What is that? By abolishing in his flesh, remember that's the cross, the enmity, the, the, that, okay? The wall that separated us. Notice it says, which is, here it is, and some people don't like this because they want to be good Bible people, but they're not rightly dividing the word, and we're trying to convince church people that they need to keep the Old Testament law of Israel. Big old N-O, okay? Christ died for the law under righteousness for everyone who believes. So if you believe, the law can no longer condemn you unless it can be used with you operating in unrighteousness. It can never save you. It can only condemn. What was the problem? He died on the cross to do away with the demands of the law. And so setting them aside, breaking them down, allowing for a brand new unity to happen, that in himself he might take the two into, and here it is, the big deal, one new man. Not a remade old man. God is not interested in pouring new wine into old wineskins and hoping that it holds. He doesn't do that. He is creating one brand new entity, and that is Jew and Gentile being rid of their previous identifications and coming into a brand new identification of who they are in Christ because they're now part of his body. So notice this establishes peace and that he might reconcile, beautiful word, them both into one body, coming back into where they should have been, to God through the cross, there it is in his flesh again, by it having put to death the enmity. He quotes from Isaiah, and he came and he preached peace. Notice, he preached peace. It's okay for you guys to preach it, people. Jesus offers peace. Preach peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for. Through Him, Jesus, we both, everybody remember that? Personal inclusive pronoun. 
have our access. That means, right? The doors are open. And you get to step into a new realm. The new realm is in Christ. How does that happen? In one spirit, because the spirit is who gives life in regeneration. Hope I spelled that right. Don't pay attention to it. And notice, it's to the Father. What do you have here? Remember this. Terrible design, but you have the Trinity. So the Trinity is involved in making all of this happen. Why? Because God loves you and God is not willing that any should perish if we're all come to life. That's so vitally important. So with all that being said, this leads us to where we are. So then, you, who's this? Gentiles, still keeping that in mind, are no longer, number one, strangers. Now this brings up the idea of verse 12. Number two, aliens. Not like you think, aliens. Not that, that's not what that means, okay? You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer formally outside. There's nothing separating you from God anymore. In fact, Zach and I were having an interesting conversation about this stuff earlier. You realize, and I think I've told you guys this before, there's not one time in all of the Bible, Old or New Testament, we're ever told to pray for the salvation of someone who's lost. Did you guys know that? Not one time. Told to pray for people who are in positions of authority so that we would live quiet, tranquil lives so that we'd be able to share and manifest the gospel in our communities. But not one time are we ever told to pray for them. Why is that? Because Jesus already destroyed everything that was separating them from God and the only thing left to bring them into life and give them the Spirit as, as, as indwelling in them and to bring them into the body of Christ is one thing. Their response to hearing the gospel. That's it. And that's all that separates them. Sometimes that unnerves us because we think, well, man, should it be harder than that? I think the Lord it's not. Because if it was, I would have messed it up. Would you not have two? Good. It's a situation where God has taken care of all of it in Jesus. And it's simply the invitation. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Remember that situation? Philippian jailer's losing his mind. I love that Paul doesn't say, you know, you should worship no other gods besides yourself. You should have no idols before me. Don't covet anything. Did he go through all that? He didn't. He didn't ray comfort this guy to death. He did not, okay? Some of you get that. That's funny. Some of you that don't understand that, it's funny. Let me tell you, okay? It's funny. Everybody know there's a hologram of him at the ark? A hologram. I know it's, some of you think, I wish you were a hologram right now. I understand that, okay? <laughs> Ask Mitch to turn you off. But, very strange. He didn't put all these demands on him in order to dig him in a deeper hole. It's not what he did. He gave him one response. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Seems like a pretty simple response to me. And notice that God is not requiring anything else except responding with the conviction that what Jesus did for you is true. That's it. And that's all. So notice, no longer strangers, no longer outside of what God was doing, no longer aliens. This word aliens is incredibly interesting. Uh, and it's the idea of uh, that you're not a naturalized citizen. We kind of understand uh, that kind of concept uh, from what we deal with. But notice what it says. But, and I love that word because remember, that's a 180 degrees. You, dealing with the idea of the, the Gentiles, sorry, right here. Gentiles are... 
Notice, it's a fact, presently speaking. Fellow citizens. You are fellow citizens. Now here's what's strange about this. This is the only time that this word ever occurs in the New Testament. So there's some weighing out about what in the world could that possibly mean. But the idea is full rights, complete acceptance of equal standing with one another. One is not better than another. Not one person in here is more of a citizen of the United States than another. But we can all equally lay hands and claim rights on the privileges and benefits that come with being a citizen of the United States. So that's the idea of no longer in a situation of lostness and down and you're two steps, you're in the basement somewhere while the Jews are in the attic. No, no, no. We got rid of that. We got rid of the basement and God created an entirely brand new house and He's filling it with both and putting them in a brand new family situation. So notice, with the saints, now that's together, but here's a problem is that some people have looked at and said, well, how in the world should we translate that? Should we translate this as Jews? No. Why? Because God's not taking lost Gentiles and making them Jews. He's taking lost Gentiles and Jews and making them the church. Everybody understand that? That's a completely different thing that's going down. So no, with the saints, those who have already been set apart. How do we know that? Because, number one, at no time is the word saints used apart from the idea of the church being the body of Christ in the New Testament. It's just not used that way. Why? Because it means holy ones being set apart for a purpose or for a reason. Well, if you go back and you think through your New Testament history, so Jesus ascends, you guys wait for the Holy Spirit, He comes in, everybody starts speaking in tongues, everybody gets tripped up on that because they don't know how to handle it. Next thing you know, Peter starts preaching a sermon, says all this stuff, and then all of a sudden this conviction, they were struck to the heart by what Peter had to say. You know what that is? That's conviction from hearing the gospel. And in doing so, if they've been struck in the heart, they've believed it. Because Barbie doesn't freak me out. Neither does Bambi, neither does Cinderella, neither does any of that stuff. Why? Because it's fiction. It's not real. But when people have to say, well, we got an AI device that's now going to make a brand new Bible that's finally going to get religion right, what that tells me is that you're scared to death of the Scriptures that we have. You see what I'm saying? The Lord Jesus strikes fear in people that can't handle Him and don't want Him. For those who recognize their need for Him, there's a conviction that is struck by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, a person responds in faith. So they get saved in Acts 2.38. They cry out, Sirs, if this happened, what must we do? Now we've got this brand new birth of a church. 3,000 coming to faith in the Lord. And what happens at that moment? With the church being born, they've lost their Jewish identity. Something brand new happened, but here's the problem. From there until Acts 10, it's all Jews. Then Peter gets this crazy vision up on a housetop. Don't know what he was doing. He might have been hanging out with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know, but I don't think so. Okay? And next thing you know, we came to have fun today. Everybody smile. No grumps. No grumps. Okay? And then he goes and he talks to a man named Cornelius, who's a Gentile. Kind of a strange situation. But Cornelius had already been responding to the revelation that God had given him. So the door was already opening for him. He just needed to hear about the Savior Jesus. At that moment, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 10, 
they received the Holy Spirit just as we did. He comes in later and he says, who was I to stand in their way? Who was I to tell them this wasn't real? Who was I to tell them no? And next thing you know, the door starts opening. Next chapter takes place. Maybe it's chapter 12. Can't remember right now. And you got some guys who were dispersed during Stephen's stoning. They go out and they didn't know any better, so they just started sharing the gospel with everybody. Well, they shared it with Gentiles. Well, guess what happened? God moved. Next thing you know, Gentiles are getting saved. Started the church in Antioch. Barnabas shows up. Whoa, what's going on here? I ain't even got everything I need to handle this situation. Let me go get Paul. That's how Paul gets involved in ministry. So this whole thing bursting open with the saints, well, yeah, from Acts 2 to 10, we're dealing with primarily a Jewish church. Less Jewish because there's a brand new life in Christ and they're learning what this is to be believers in Christ. But when the doors open up for this, the Gentiles now get included in. Notice, and you are God's household. Now, Cindy, thank you for what you said. Family. Absolutely. 150%. Here's the interesting thing about this family, though. You actually feel guilty when you don't like them. Took a minute. You guys are paying attention. I love it. Okay, good. But here's what's interesting about this. God's household. How God's desiring to design. This is the masterpiece. This is the poema. This is the workmanship of what you see right in front of you. Again, we come back to, but I don't deserve this. But how could this be? It's by grace. It's what He did in Christ. It's above and beyond what happened just initially in our understanding as baby Christians we come to in the cross. This is deeper things of which we sing. It's not just that He redeemed a person. He redeemed a community and He's actually doing something interactive with it. Now we go back to those demands maybe that were in uh, verse 12. If you look back at them for a second. Separate from Christ and the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, recognize this. Becoming part of the body of Christ ascends you to a greater realm than the law ever could by keeping it. Some benefits that I was thinking of as I was going through this. Number one, it's a higher calling because now we know the Savior. It's not about necessarily keeping some rules in order to make sure that God is okay with us in some way. It's the idea that Christ has taken upon Himself the wrath of God and that God ceases to be mad with His people completely. That's a whole different deal because that doesn't even happen in our normal family setting. It's the idea that there's a greater standing. Why? Because I now stand in Christ. There's a higher calling. Why? Because I'm called to embrace the law of liberty. I'm called to love my neighbor as myself. So as I've loved you, love one another. Good grief, that's greater than the law. You get that right, you're doing well. Reflect upon the love of Christ and watch that come out of you for other people. That's a much higher calling than just those standards. Number one, we have a greater hope. And or Sorry, the next one, we have a greater hope. We also have a greater relationship. All of the calling of the church is heavenly in nature. It's not earthly. And all those things that were brought up as advantages early on for the Jew are only earthly in nature. All the covenants with them, earthly in nature. All the promises that God made, earthly in nature. Their calling was earthly in nature. What do we see throughout Ephesians? In the heavenlies, in the heavenlies, in the heavenlies, in the heavenlies. Today you probably came here and you didn't feel like being a heavenly people. It didn't change the fact that you are a heavenly people. It doesn't change the fact that we are a heavenly body. Way before we're ever an earthly body. 
And one of the sad things that has happened in culture, in thinking, in theology, in our destitute and deprived Bible study, whatever it might possibly be, is we've lost sight of the glorious, grand, heavenly nature of the church as God saved it and intended it to be. So now we've become a gathering. Or we just kind of get together every once in a while. You want to come to my church? It's kind of cool. We kind of, we kind of downplay it as somehow we're trying to, come on world, just come on. And when we do that, we lose everything that Jesus died to make it be. Heavenly and glorious. Our message doesn't have more power because we dumbed it down. Our message doesn't have more power because we stopped talking about sin and blood with people. The power is in the blood. I think there's a song about that. I think Paul makes a big deal about that in verse 13. The power is in the message. But if I tell somebody they're a sinner, it's not very nice. Well, stop telling them with such a bad attitude. You know? The truth is still the same, but the way in which we approach people must be handled with care. But once you water down the message, you've swept away the power. Period. And we've got to be on guard against that because that happens. No, what I see here in Ephesians chapter 2 is God has called us to greater. God has called the church to heavenly. He did not call Israel to this. He has an earthly plan for Israel. He has a heavenly plan for the church. Now watch this. What time do we have? This is going to be awesome. Here we go. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay? Now oftentimes when you read through the Bible, or maybe you're familiar with the idea of Jesus Christ being the foundation. Absolutely. We're told that in 2 Corinthians 3, I believe that it is. I've forgotten my notes, okay? that's what I wrote it down so I didn't have to remember it is the idea. Um, but in doing that, don't get our building metaphors mixed up here for a second, okay? This is what Paul's talking about here. Why does he bring up apostles and prophets? Well, we know the apostles are the sent ones. Why is that? Because apostolos, the Greek word for it, is the idea of ships were going to be given a mission. It's the idea of sending them out into the water in order to go do whatever they've been commissioned to do. It's the same idea of what he did here with the twelve. And so we understand that because he walked with them through the Gospels and into Acts and they become the actual foundational sections of what become the church. Brand new, bringing the teaching of Jesus into this situation that has now been redeemed by grace. But one thing that usually messes us up is the idea of the prophets because sometimes we automatically think Old Testament. And that's not what this is talking about here. So, everybody, get on the Magical Mystery Tour bus and let's take a look at something real quick. Everybody look in your Bibles at chapter 3, verse 5. Sorry, verse 4 and 5. It says here, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. That's not Old Testament. Because the mystery that he's talking about is the church, the fact that the Gentiles are included with the Jews, and this brand new one man is what's going on. That's the mystery that beforehand it was still true, but it was kept from people understanding because God wasn't ready to unveil it. In Acts chapter 2, he's finally ready to take the sheet off the box and show everybody what he's planning on doing into the future. Now remember this for the fact of Ephesians 2.7. We are objects of his grace that are going to demonstrate his kindness in the millennial reign. If that's who we are, and setting all of this up to move in that direction, 
The apostles and prophets have got to play a role, but if it's not dealing with Old Testament, we're dealing with New Testament prophets. Look also over real quick at chapter 4, verse 11. You just turn over one page. It says here, and he gave some as apostles and some as what? As prophets. Some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Notice there are five offices that God has supplied as a gift to the church for their training in moving them forward. Now what's interesting about this is the idea that prophets is stuck right in there at number two. In fact, if you go and you look at Paul's hierarchy list that he has in 1 Corinthians 14 of what's been given to the church, he says first are apostles, second are prophets, and then he moves on. So the New Testament idea of this is New Testament prophets. People that would have been receiving the Word of God during that time because we didn't have a completed canon of Scripture. People who were foretelling the Word of God in order for it to be written down. In fact, think about it. Paul wrote how many books in the New Testament? We know? Thirteen. He didn't write Hebrews. Don't play that. He didn't write Hebrews. Everybody know that? He didn't write Hebrews. Okay. It was Luke. I'm just kidding. I don't know. But... Anybody that wrote any New Testament book was a prophet, period. And they were all people that existed during that time, and they all wrote after the events of Acts chapter 2. So they all wrote as people being in the church age dispensation, regardless if they were writing back on the events of Christ's life, they're still writing into that situation. All of them had to be prophets because all of them were speaking forward truth of the Holy Spirit that wasn't written down yet. So that shouldn't shake us at all. I hope that it doesn't. So notice, they are considered the foundation here. You know what that is? The word that people sometimes don't like, doctrine. They are laying forward the doctrine. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and I am with you to the end of the age. The whole idea of, 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 of um, gosh, forgive me, they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The breaking of bread, fellowship in the prayers. The apostles' teaching. Doctrine is what they were putting forward here. Now here's what's interesting. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. In fact, if you notice here, this is italicized. They put this in here so you know exactly what it's talking about. Translators added that. It's not doing any kind of damage. But think about it. He's the corner. Anybody ever gone to a building and you've seen this ornate cornerstone dated? Maybe you have something on there. Donated by Mr. and Mrs. Jenkins. You know, something like that is implied on there. Anybody? Yeah? Okay, good. So we understand what I'm talking about. I'm not just crazy. Good. Cornerstone. Something that's connecting all the walls of this building. Imagine how they're saying the church is structured. Sound doctrine is laying the floor. But in the very corner of it, we're going to establish Jesus Christ, of which you have to align and fit all of the walls together. Anybody want to guess who the walls are? All in all, we're just bricks in the wall, right? Pink, Pink Floyd got that one right. Yeah, he wasn't talking about the church, though. That guy's whack. Anyway, moving on. Notice it. We're all, con- we're all connected to the wall. It's something that when it's set up, it all has to align the structure. Jeff, you're into this, aren't you? Are you into this stuff with laying those walls and connecting things like that? Yeah. It's tedious, isn't it? You don't know, man. Jeff is a master craftsman at this type of stuff. You ever gone by and appreciated Culver's for more than their burgers? That's him on the outside. He did all that stuff. That was him. It's tedious stuff. You guys use like laser lines and stuff like that? Yeah. Jesus didn't have that stuff. 
Here he stands as the cornerstone, and he's building this glorious church. Much cooler than Culver's, I promise you, okay? But this is what he's doing for us. And he's lining us up just right. And he's bringing you to where you need to be, just so. And he's changing your mind bits and pieces because that's where we need to be led. For some reason, he tends to change women's minds better than men's for some reason. I've noticed that men are always stubborn to get there. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, he does it. Why? Because he can work in the heart, and that's what he does. He molds through the heart of the church because he's doing something. Some other things about a cornerstone. It gives direction to the building of where it's going. And the most amazing thing is the fact that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, holds everything together. Every bit of it. Notice what he says here. The whole building. That's us. Being fit together is growing. I love that because that's an upward. Into a holy temple. In the Lord. There's our location, our position in Christ. Holy temple. Oh gosh, this left side is killing me. It's got this Jewish idea when we think about temple. But this is the reason why Rory and I have this back, back and forth going on about whether we should call this an auditorium or a sanctuary. Because this idea of temple here has two possible words that it could mean. So let me just give you like a sidebar idea here of what it could mean. There's one word, Huron. And the idea that it deals with is the entire temple complex. Outside courtyards, inside part of it, the actual building itself, what's going on in this section, what about the centurion's quarters? Whatever those things might possibly be, it's considered the entirety of the whole thing. But what's interesting about this is the word that is intentionally used for temple is this one, naos. And it is the holy of holies. Notice if you had a Jewish background, you could understand this a little bit more as you were receiving this letter in Ephesus and rolling it out. What is it saying? In Christ, the cornerstone, the whole building is being attached, fitted, carefully placed, lay it down and stick them all together in order to come to something that is going to be growing up. Why? Because we should be evangelizing people and bringing them into the family of God through the message we preach into the Holy of Holies in the Lord, the very central place where God's Spirit loved to dwell in the Shekinah glory above the Ark of the Covenant, of which His very presence is. That's not any different for you and me. Don't think that it is. Well, that's not real life. That's supernatural. That's just Bible stuff. Stop. Real life is supernatural, and our failure to recognize it has cost us much. It's cost us much in this situation. God is doing grand things. Now, just in case we're not of the Jewish flavor and not understanding that completely, Billy Crystal, whatever, in whom, that's Christ, you also. Notice how he switches that, Gentiles. Because he's shown about how they're all brought together in this one man. You also are being built. I love that. You are being built. You know why? Because it's a present passive term. It means it's happening right now and you ain't got nothing to do with it. God's doing it. You get to just sit back and receive it. That's too easy. Back when I went to church, we sat on these hard pews and we had to, you know. Yeah? You did. Guess what? You were being built at that time. God was still doing the work. But there's a lot of times when we think we got to get busy for the Lord that we're actually getting in His way of what He's trying to do. We could stand to do a lot more waiting, be a lot more discerning, 
a lot more prayerful, and a lot more receiving of what he would have done. Why? Because every time God does something, he does it perfect. He can't do it any other way. You're saying, so we should just sit around with our our hands under our seats and just do nothing? Yeah. Because you don't have to fold them to pray. You can just do it. Don't have to close your eyes. We know that. Don't close your eyes when I had to bury your hair. I prayed like this one time. My dad was freaking out. I remember that. I was in church one time as a kid. I'm like, like that. He went. You know, kind of, yes, sir. So, because I know he was thinking, was a pastor like, I don't know. I don't want to make a joke. That'd be bad. Moving on. <laughs> I think I was like 11. Anyway, moving on. Uh, you should have seen me as a kid. Man, it was fun. All right. In Christ, you also are being built. Remember, this is passive. God's doing the work. God always does the work. Pause for a second. Anybody visited the bathroom the past three weeks? Here. Not anywhere. Of course you have. But here. 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 Have you read the little blurb? If it's God's, if it's God's job to work, what's it our job to do? Trust. Thank you. To trust. That's what we do. And if any time we began working and it wasn't rooted in trust of what God is already going to do, we automatically know we're outside of His will in it. We need to stop, back up, be discerning and prayerful. God does the work. We trust that He's going to work in this passive way. Notice, He's being built together, that's Jew and Gentile, stay on there, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. A habitation. Now, is he talking about a building? He's using building imagery. But guess what he's talking about? It's us. All y'all. Right here. Right now. God is working. God is passively, sorry, God is working actively. We are receiving passively. And we're watching the work that he does and in so responding accordingly to what we see Him do. Why? Because He is a habitation that He desires to have here. To dwell. To take up residence. To put His name on the mailbox. To say, Jew and Gentile, when you believe in Christ, I'm giving you brand new papers and a brand new zip code. And guess what? You guys are going to be formed in such a way as to where I'm going to be there always. How does it happen? In the Spirit. Why is this in the Spirit idea? Because the Spirit is the one who gives life. And if you do not have life, you are not in the body of Christ. It's so much more than just 2939 County Road CX. It's so much more than erecting a steeple. It's so much more than saying, i got a plan. It has nothing to do with bricks and mortar. It has everything to do with us resting upon the indispensable foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ is our cornerstone. And regardless if we like it or not, think of it or not, agree with it or not, or you can even understand it or not, we are bricks that are joined along Him and He is erecting and building these walls into a holy sanctuary. We are the sanctuary. Why? Because we are where the Spirit is pleased to dwell. That's why this is not the sanctuary. It's the auditorium. The sanctuaries are right here in the auditorium. We are a holy sanctuary unto Him. Now, this is lengthy, but this is where we end, so there's hope, okay? The heavenly position of the church. If you ever get a chance, Hopes of the Church of God by Darby. 
you ever want a good book, man, it's a good book. Very good book. Hopes of the Church of God. I'm going to read to you a lengthy quote here that I was just, I had to read it a couple times because I loved it so much. And the sentences are really long, kind of how I talk, so it should work out just fine. So here we go. As to us, it is in the heavenly places that we shall find our abode. The spiritual blessings in heavenly places which we enjoy even now in hope, though hindered in many ways, will be for us in that day things natural to our physical and normal state, so to speak. But the earth will not fail to feel the effects of it. Wicked spirits in heavenly places, whose place will be then filled by Christ and His church, will cease to be the continual and prolific causes of the misery of a world subjected to their power by sin. The church, on the contrary, with Christ, reflecting the glory in which she participates, and enjoying the presence of Him, who is at once to her its source and fullness, will beam upon the earth in blessing, and the nations will walk by her light. Help meet for Him, from Genesis 2.18, in His glory, full of thoughts of her beloved, and enjoying His love. She will be the worthy and happy instrument of His blessings, whilst in her condition she will be the living demonstration of their success. For God has done these things, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. The earth will enjoy the fruits of the victory and of the faithfulness of the last Adam and will be the magnificent testimony of it in the sight of principalities and powers as it is at present in the chaos made by sin of the ruin and of the iniquity of the first Adam. Without doubt, the crowning joy, the joy of joys, will be the communion of the Father and of the Bridegroom, but to be witness of His goodness, to have part in it, and to be an instrument of it towards a fallen world, will certainly be to taste of divine joys, for God is love. We get to radiate that. We already are that. When's the last time we even bothered to tell a person God loved them? And yet this incredible, intense, celestial fellowship that the Father will have with the Son, we're there. Father, I pray for them that they would be one just as we are one. That they could be one with us. That's what God's doing. This isn't just church. It's the assembly of His holy ones into a brand new thing that is glorious and magnificent and carefully crafted by His grace. I hope that hasn't gotten stale on you. I hope you haven't gotten rubbed wrong by the idea of church. Because regardless of where we are, we need to return to a biblical picture of all that God has carefully crafted in His Son. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You have made us into fellow citizens, to holy ones, to Your household, that in Christ He is our cornerstone who aligns us and fits us all together, who holds us all together and is indispensable to our existence. We thank You for taking the time to pen the New Testament by Your Spirit that serves as our foundation of doctrine. Father, You are working 
but we must ask a very serious question. Are we receiving? Your work is perfect and our reception is imperfect. But these are glorious truths that if our minds are clouded in any way, we can't readily begin to grasp the significance and the weight eternally of what it says. So Father, thank You for making us a dwelling, Your dwelling in the Spirit. Thank You that Jesus makes it possible. Help us, Lord, to rethink our alliances if we've allowed for worldly thinking to come into the body of Christ and to forsake them all to return to what the Word has to say. Father, may we be expectant because You are a God who is moving and is calling the body of Christ to great and wonderful things that You've already prepared. Thank You that we don't have to be beautiful. Thank You that we already are beautiful. And thank You that we don't have to try to be special. We already are special because Your Son's given His blood to make us so. Thank You that we are unified. We praise You for that. It is in Jesus' name.